welcome to another episode of Block Talk, presented by Theater in the Now. I'm your host, as always, Michael Block. If you love the podcast, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, so you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review while you're there. And as always, follow me on Instagram at MichaelBlockTalk, on Twitter at BlockTalkNYC, and visit theaterinthenow.com for latest news, reviews, and interviews. They are one of New York City and drag race's most prolific and sought-after designers. It's the Multi-Glam Award-nominated Coretta Victory. Hello. How are you? Hello. I'm good. Thank you for having me. How are you? Yeah. I, I, I'm glad to finally have you. I mean, I feel like I've been begging you to come on the <laughs> podcast for a long time, but you you rightly have been busy. You, you, not, you are nonstop. Yeah. No, especially the past couple months where like I just moved in August so I spent Mm -hmm. August dealing with that and then it was literally just like Bushwig, VMAs, um, Halloween, Christmas like literally November 2nd people were banging down my door for Christmas looks it's like it gets earlier every year. (laughs) I I mean I guess it's a good thing to be this much in demand. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You count your blessings some way but We'll, we're, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about if you get to give yourselves mental health breaks and all that stuff when we get to it. But I always like to start at the beginning and get the audience to know who you are a little bit. But where are you sure. from? I'm from Westchester, New York. So uh, right above the city. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm still in living in New Jersey with my mom. I'm from Bergen County. So I know Westchester pretty damn well. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what was life like in Westchester? So until I was 11 or 12, I grew up in Yonkers, which is right Mm -hmm. above the Bronx. And that was, you know, mostly um, people of color. I was one of the only white people in my class. I was the only Jewish person in my class. And then in middle school, I moved farther north to Ardsley, which is a very small town, which no one's heard of, but it's like right next to Scarsdale, if that gives you an idea of Mm -hmm. that. So that was like, mostly white Jewish kids. So it was like a very split (laughs) experience that I feel like gave me a much more well-rounded upbringing than being in one or the other. Um, And then also right next to the city, you know, get on the Metro North 25 minutes down. And so I've been like- So being so close to the city, has the city always been a part of your life? Have you always been going to either see shows or or go to the million billion restaurants that the city has to offer. Yeah, my family was very into like museums and Broadway shows and stuff like that. So we were coming down here a lot for that. And then my friends and I, it was like a thing for us to just like go down to the city and go to the Museum of Natural History or the Met and wander around there, wander around Central Park, or just like pick a direction and walk and just find whatever interesting thing we could find on the street or like go to St. Mark's place back when that was fun. <laughs> right. I mean, I like, I, cause I've, I've been in, in the area for, for my entire life as well, aside from going to college. And I f- still feel like there are places in the city I, that are untapped. Like I've never been to, which yeah. is crazy, <laughs> but there, there's just so much to do. And speaking of St. Mark's, I mean, I used to review theater down that area. Um, I remember when it was a little seedier and you're like, I don't know if I should be here. And now it's like, oh God, y'all suck. Go away. I don't like you anymore. Yeah. No, I like, 
I don't know whether it was just like the rose colored glasses of me being this like little 12 year old alternative kid being like, I'm gonna go to St. Mark's place. This is so cool. But then I'm like, there legitimately is less interesting stuff there now, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one, once the Chipotle moved in, you're like, uh, okay, we're, you're doing this for the college kids. I get what you're doing now. Now, theater. Broadway's yes. right down the road. Do you remember the first Broadway show you ever saw? I think the first one my parents brought me to was Beauty and the Beast. And Same. I have a that I had colored the logo in with crayons. Oh no. Where I was at that time, I was like a little, little kid. Did theater play a big part um, into who you ultimately became as a designer? Yeah. Uh, I wasn't super involved in the theater, like in my high school. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like at the time I wasn't really sewing yet. It was mostly just drawing and design, but all of my friends were the theater kids. And then my first job was working as backstage crew at the local dinner theater. And <laughs> if this gives you any sense of <laughs> my um, the first thing I did on my first day there was resetting all the snaps on the stripper pants for the full Monty. <laughs> there you go. That living the dream. So before getting to that, when, where did you go to college and what did you study? I went to FIT for fashion design with a specialization in evening wear and special occasion. So mm-hmm. we did like a little bit of um, shapewear and like spandex. We did a little bit of lingerie. We had like bridal classes and couture embellishments, like doing all sorts of little like embroidery and stuff. Um, at the time I was thinking I was gonna be, you know, Alexander McQueen. And then throughout my school experience, I kind of found my own niche and ended up where I am now. That's kind of awesome. Like you, you spent your entire life in the New York metro area and you still ended up in New York for college. Did mm-hmm. you want to go anywhere else? Or were you like, FIT is probably just one of those awesome schools. I have to just do it. Yeah, no, I applied to FIT and I applied to Pratt and then Parsons was going to be my backup if I didn't get in early at those two. But luckily I got into both and FIT was a lot more affordable. <laughs> so. Fair, fair. Uh, and I actually, I have a cousin who is a professor and like on the board at FIT. And there was some family thing that we were at when I was like 15 or 16 and I was talking about it and I was like looking at different schools in the area. And I had heard that Syracuse had a pretty good fashion program. Mm-hmm. And she was like, why would you want to be in Syracuse? There's nothing inspiring up there. Like you have to be in New York city if you're going to do fashion. I fully agree. I, I applied to Syracuse, got in for stage management and they like really wanted me because I was going to be like one of two stage managers. And of course, mm-hmm. like the only male in the program and like, come, come. I was like, no, you're, you're too cold. What am I supposed to do there? I, I no, I need, I need something a little better, but yeah, I, I understand that. So FIT, you're studying fashion and design. When did dragon makeup enter the scene? So I started school in 2008 and then it's, you do two years, you get an associates and it's like the first two years are kind of just like general you know, one semester is tailoring, one semester is knitwear, one semester is evening wear. And then the second two years, you pick a specialization and then you get a bachelor's. And so, you know, as I said, I picked evening wear and couture thinking I was going to be the next like Galliano, McQueen, whatever. And then around like 2010, 2011 was when 
the economy was collapsing and the avant-garde fashion industry was collapsing. So it's like McQueen had just passed away. Betsy Johnson, who I had just finished interning for, went out of business. Um, Galliano was like having racist meltdowns and nobody wanted to work with him. <laughs> and, like, you know, Jeremy Scott, Moschino, like those kind of brands weren't around yet. So like mainstream fashion was very just like minimalist, muted colors, like very safe. And the professors like wanted us, FIT is very focused on getting people actual jobs in the industry and like the business end of things, whereas sure. Parsons and Pratt are more towards the artistic conceptual side. So they were very focused on like, you have to tone this down. None of the stores are gonna buy things that look like this. You know, stop putting cat suits in your collections. Nobody wears cat suits. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, now that's most of what I do. And so <laughs> and I had a really hard time trying to compromise what I wanted to do with what the professors wanted me to do. And like, mm. I wasn't happy with anything that I was making. Like I had to take a bridal class and I really wanted to do a pink wedding dress because I don't like white. I don't like the concept of a white wedding dress. Like I wanted to do something a little more modern and interesting. And the professor told me like, I will grade you down if you make it pink because like that's not saleable. So then I ended up with like, a champagne colored dress with pink and purple flowers and it was really ugly. And like, <laughs> I'm mad that I spent all this time and money on something that like, I don't like how it looks because it, it was very much this like mishmash of what I wanted and what the professor wanted. Sure. So then for my senior internship the last semester, at the time, you know, I was kind of like putting out feelers, like I wanted to work for like Cirque du Soleil. That was kind of the direction I was moving in and like the whole costume world. So I put costume into the search bar for the internship listings and I found Screaming Queens Entertainment. And so I applied for there and then I applied for other like fashion houses. I ended up working with Screaming Queens at the behest of the school <laughs> who didn't like it because it wasn't like a real fashion house while like other people were getting coffee for Oscar de la Renta. I was like actually on set, like making things, working with things. Um, you know, there were a couple of days where back at the time, Screaming Queens and Garrow Sparrow were down the street from each other. So if they didn't have anything to do, they would send me over to Garrow's studio. That's how I started working nice. with him. <laughs> and, you know, I met all of these performers through working with their like, Ivy Winters, Peppermint, Milan, Pattaya, like, and so that was kind of how I got my start as soon as they're like, oh, like, you're a designer, we need costumes. And it was right around the time that Ivy had gotten on Drag Race. And at the time, she was one of the big seamstresses for the drag community. So once she was off doing her thing, there was a hole that needed to be filled of, you know, new local drag seamstress. Sure. So that's kind of how I ended up in that direction. And then at the same time, I was part of these like online drag race fan spaces, one of which decided they were gonna have their own amateur online drag race competition. So then, you know, me being this up and coming designer, I was like, well, I'm gonna be my own spokesmodel. And I think that I should learn how to do makeup and all this stuff so I can like go out and in a full look and advertise myself. So I used this competition as a way to you know, build up my skills and learn how to do that. And I was sure. like making stuff for the competition, then like teaching myself makeup to go with looks. And then, you know, once I met people through there, I found a couple of people in the New York area 
Um, Zalika Parsons, actually, Erica Clash were some of the people who I met through there who I've known since like 2014. <laughs> and then like once I was talking to them, they were like, well, if we're getting dressed up, we might as well go out to the club. And then it's like, once I'm out at the club, it's like, well, why aren't you performing? So I kind of just fell into the whole doing drag myself thing backwards. <laughs> and sure. it like, wasn't something I ever intended to do, but it, that's where I ended up. So how did you come up with your drag name? What is the origin story? So Pieretta is the feminine version of the Piero clown, which mm -hmm. I, I'll show you. I have like a painting down there. I've got one over there. Yep. <laughs> I've got one all over here. <laughs> um, I've always really connected to the Piero, like first of all, just, you know, the graphic black and white. Yeah and two-tone clowns and like that's something I've always connected to like you know Cirque du Soleil was a big inspiration for me um and also like the Piero has this interesting backstory as a character of like starting the original iteration was just like the fool who like bad things were always happening to but is still just like you know bumbling onward and not really understanding what's happening but then Later iterations, like the Puro character was picked up by artists as their like mascot kind of, of this like, you know, misunderstood downtrodden figure who's still like optimistic and hopeful. And, you know, there's one of the motifs associated with the Puro is the moon, which like, you know, he's in love with the moon is this beautiful unattainable romantic thing that he's yeah. like always striving for and like isn't giving up hope despite obviously <laughs> never being able to get to the moon sure. and so like that was the basis of that and then victory is halfway between victor and victoria mm -hmm. which is you know a reference obviously in that regard but also victor victoria was the movie that was playing in the delivery room when i was born that's so. amazing <laughs> see you know what there, there are people who come on here and be like i don't know why i have a drag name someone said it and they're i love this story this is probably mm -hmm. one of my favorites uh, and and that was a great cap off to it i love that my parents are both in advertising and they've drilled into my head ever since i was a kid like if you're going to pick a name for something, it has to be something that if you Google it, that is the only thing that comes up. So well, I think that that that's kind that was going to lead to my next question because it's kind of brilliant. Because if people don't refer to you as Pureta, it's always black and white striped, all the time, always yeah. like it's actually your name. Um, so when you talk about marketing, like you've nailed it down. Like your your handle is synonymous with you. Does that bother you at all that that's what people sometimes refer to you? But also, how amazing is it to know that that is what your brand is and you've nailed it? It makes me nervous because that was not what I intended my brand name to be. That was just the Instagram handle I picked in 2010 because, you know, <laughs> that was my aesthetic. Sure. And, you know, going back to this Googleability thing, it's like if you Google black and white striped costumes, you're gonna get referees and Beetlejuice, you're not gonna get me. So like, I've been hesitant to make that my brand name. So I'm kind of stuck in this weird crossroads sure. where like some people know me as Whitney, some people know me as Peretta, some people know me as black and white striped. And it was actually a problem for the Glam Awards a couple of years ago where people were nominating me under three different names and I had oh, to God. be- 
Yeah. Like, I mean, we love Cherry Jubilee, but she's sometimes not the smartest, sharpest girl <laughs> in the shed. So believe me, when I was like, no, 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 I'm Michael Block. Bradley is my middle name. I am still the same person. Please don't eliminate my votes because you can't figure out who I am. Yeah. Oh, God. Now, makeup. I, I feel like, again, branding is so huge. You have such an impressive makeup face and bean, and it is instantly recognizable with you. What was the development into creating the face that will ultimately be yours? I actually went through a lot of different iterations. When I first started, I was doing a little more of like a normal human face. Mm -hmm. And then when I started going out and making connections in the club scene, I was really inspired by like Ryan Burke and those kind of club kids mm -hmm. who like all this stuff to their face. So I had this phase of doing like the glitter paper eyebrows right. and angles under my eyes and the pearls and everything. Um, and then I was also inspired by the showgirl I was, I was working with who blew a lot of rhinestones to their face. And then, you know, it kept getting like bigger and more clowny. Cause like, as I was, getting my photo taken by other people for the first time and like seeing which parts of my face were like reading and which parts mm -hmm. I should exaggerate more. And then I, I was doing the white face sometimes because obviously, you know, this like clown face is part of my character, but I started doing it full time after um, I was part of Sasha Valor's Pirate Jenny video where mm -hmm. I had to do that same clown face five times in a week <laughs> and uh, like wake sure. up at 6 p.m. and then realizing that the white foundation was a lot faster and easier because like you don't have to do highlight right. and contour as much. <laughs> so that kind of just became my go-to because it was easier. And then I kind of worked outward from there of like figuring out ways to make that more interesting and more defined. Because when I was first starting out, it was a lot of like, every time I went out, I wanted to look different, but then nobody ever knew who I was. Sure, sure. <laughs> so then I started working more towards like branding a signature face and, you know, things like the triangles over the eye or like the big under eye. I did it once. I liked how it looked. I kept it. And then kept adding. Yeah. Were you someone who leaned on tutorials on YouTube or were you someone more trial and error? I'm doing my own thing. This is how it's going to go. I don't know if I've ever watched a makeup tutorial. That's fine. <laughs> I can, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a makeup artist. Clearly, I can't sit through it. I'm like, I don't under, I know. Mm, mm, no, yeah, the only I'm more I hands on. Bob the drag queen's like parody makeup tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> fair, or, very fair. You no, know, like I've watched a lot of Crystal Methods and like hers, just like insane process because like that makes me feel better because I don't actually know anything about makeup and I do a lot of like finger painting and using products where they're not supposed to be. <laughs> Fair, fair. How, um, how long does it take nowadays to create your face? If needed, I can do it in like 45 minutes. Usually it's closer to like an hour, hour and a half. Or if I'm doing something a little more elaborate or if I'm trying something new, then it's closer to two hours. Nice. When it comes to drag and, and design, who are some of your inspirations um, in the drag world, art world, fashion world? Who would you nail down as the people that make you you? Suddenly I forget. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's fair. I, I do it all the time. Um, for design, I think uh, Betsy Johnson is a huge inspiration. Sure. Both aesthetic-wise and also 
business-wise. I really like that she's someone who can do a high fashion runway show, but also is accessible to people spending $75 on a dress or like $20 on a wallet at Marshall's. You know, that's something that's always been really important to me is to have my work be accessible. I never wanted to be someone who like, you have to pay $5,000 in order to get something made. Um, And then, you know, Alexander McQueen, again, both the actual designs and the way he conveyed them. Like, I would just like sit and watch his runway shows and cry Mm -hmm. (laughs) because like the theatricality and all the concepts behind it and like all the work that was put into making it more interesting than just clothes walking down a runway. Um, Drag wise. I really like Peggy Moffat, the 60s model. Um, she, if you look at it, she's got the same hair that I do. She's got a lot of, she's got the big under eyes. She's got all of the uh, different patterns in black and white and like this kind of alien mod aesthetic. Um, thrift store clown dolls are <laughs> a big inspiration. I'm here for it. Uh, I have a whole shelf of like 20 of them in the corner over there. I've been wanting to do a series of like looks inspired by all of these different dolls. That's awesome. I love that. Like my friends just gave me this one a couple weeks ago. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So when you put a look together, Mm-hmm. What is your process? Is, is it the 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 silhouette? Is it the color story? What, how do you create a look for yourself? A lot of it depends on what it's being used for. Mm-hmm. Um, for performance, usually I'll start with a concept mm-hmm. and then the outfit will be a function of what needs to happen during the number since a lot of it is based on like reveals and costumes doing things. Totally. When it's just a look to be a look, um, sometimes it's I find a fun fabric that I like, and then I figure out what I'm going to make out of that. Other times, it's a specific concept that I'm interested in, want to go towards. Um, sometimes it's you know, my friends and I will just like decide on a theme that we're going to do that day, and then everyone mm-hmm. puts something together for that theme. So it really depends. So you are easily one of the most recognizable designers when it comes to drag in New York and drag race. How did your ascension to the top come about? So when I was working for Screaming Queens, I started mostly with like the showgirls and circus performers. And then I had a couple of drag clients, but like, first of all, drag wasn't as big of a thing back then. This was around season four, season five of Drag Race. Um, And nobody was really getting stuff made unless it was something super specific. And then I was working part-time for Screaming Queens, part-time for Garrow, part-time for one of these like theatrical costume shops. Um, I was working for another company in Brooklyn who did kind of like Burning Man, rave, EDM kind of stuff. So I was like doing all of these things, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And then just like taking the occasional commission on the side. And then as drag kept expanding, as 
the drag race empire kept expanding. I was picking up more and more clients. And then Peppermint, who I had known since 2012, got on drag race. And she took a chance on me for that big red gown for top four was the first thing I made her for the show. And then I made her a bunch of her performance outfits during like the pre and during season press stuff. Um, and then it was just like from there, like the moment <laughs> people saw that my stuff was on TV, all of a sudden the amount of people who wanted to work with me grew exponentially. So I ended up leaving the places I was working part-time and then working full-time on my own. And it's continued to spiral outward from there. I mean, the, that is the dream a little bit. I mean, maybe not the dream you had when you started college, but you got your name out there in a, in a way probably a lot of people in college are never, ever going to be able to yeah. do. Well, I remember back, I think it was my junior year, like first day of class, we were going around the room and the professor was like, what do you want to be doing after you graduate? And almost everyone in the class was like, you know, I want my stuff in Bergdorf, so I want my stuff in Saks, I want to do mm -hmm. runway shows. And I was like, I want to work with circus performers and drag queens. And everyone there you go. that wasn't a thing back then. <laughs> Here it's, I am. Sometimes it's those aspirations that other people don't think are legit are the ones that are actually achievable. Mm -hmm. I love I that. I was actually just talking to someone the other day who recently graduated from FIT and is having a hard time figuring out what she wants to do next. And, you know, I was like, I'm going to tell you the thing that nobody told me, which is you don't have to work for a mass market company. You can yeah. find your niche and go for it. Like just because the Bergdorf Goodman customer doesn't want to buy something like this doesn't mean nobody does. <laughs> and those people are out there and play to your strengths and you will find people who are interested in it. Absolutely. So without revealing any secrets that you can't reveal, what is the process like when designing a look for Drag Race? How much information are you actually granted before you can like clue in, okay, I know what's going on here? It depends on the person. <laughs> Some people state it outright, even though they're not supposed to. Sure. Uh, usually it's more along the lines of, you know, hi, I got booked for this really important cruise. I've got a big family reunion I have to go to, wink, wink. Or sure, like, sure. sometimes it's just, I need a lot of looks really quick. I'm sure you can guess for what. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, usually at this point now, I've got multiple people messaging me within a couple hours of each other. So it's like, okay, now I know what's happening. Absolutely. Um, I've had people who, because usually they'll contact me when they first get the call and say, the list is incoming. I will be back here in a couple days. And I've had people who, when they get the list, they'll hand me the list and be like, which one of these do you want? Or, you know, they'll tell me what, which one they want me to do. And they'll just say, you know, the theme is little black dress. What should we do for this? Sure. Or sometimes they'll come to me with like a fully realized concept and be like, this is what we're making. And then I am not sure what it's for until I see it on the show. Fair. Now, you're obviously getting to the point where you're going to have multiple people per season come to you. Mm -hmm. Do you say, okay, I'm already designing a look for this category. I'm not going to do it for another person. 
or are you at the point where like you know what a look is a look if i have if i'm the entire runway for the night that's amazing i generally don't like to do more than one look per sure runway um there have been a couple of things where you know two people want something for the same one but they were very very different sure. so like i felt better about that because you know if i'm putting in the same level of work for both of them it's not like they're going to be directly judged against each other you know uh but i've gotten pretty lucky that this past season was the first time that that happened yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, the past couple of seasons, I've had things on more episodes than not. Somehow it was all spread out between different challenges. Yeah, cause, I mean, when I do my recaps, I always give out the shout outs to the designers as long as they're listed on social media. Come on, Queens, <laughs> you got some of you got to do a better job at that. Um, but especially this season of Canada's Drag Race in, mm. in Vancouver, there seems to be like one designer that the Vancouver mm. girls are going to. And you're like, I I, I it, is he stressed out that he's doing everyone's look and they're all kind of the same because they're the brat pack and they're all the same right. queen. Um, but yeah, I can, I can imagine that it, it could be stressful, but I feel like at least with this past season, your clients are very different when it comes to their drag aesthetics. So at least you had a variety of styles to play around with. Mm -hmm. Are there any dream collaborations when it comes to former um, Rue girls that you're like, I want to work with them. I really want to work with Comic, obviously. Like we have a very Absolutely. similar Absolutely. I'm just like, gosh, clown come on. Like <laughs> Right. We've briefly been introduced on FaceTime a couple of times, like while Candy was doing fittings, <laughs> but we've never actually had a conversation. So I'm sure. still trying to make that happen. And like all of the like weird clowny queens, you know. Um, like Crystal Method, uh, Jenny Lemon, that I really like, Joe Black, um, with the like spooky cabaret aesthetic. I'm sure you've um, been loving Pathia in Canada. <laughs> yeah, no, anyone who has like a weird, like clowny, spooky thing going on, like I loved Charity Case. Mm -hmm. So, you, well, speaking of that, you've obviously worked with a countless amount of Rue girls. Are there any boo girls you'd like to work with? And when I say boo, I mean Boulet Brothers, Dragula Queens. I would love to do more of that. Erica is the only one I've worked with from mm -hmm. Dragula. Um, but I think their challenges are a lot more fun than the Drag Race one race sometimes. This season, so, the challenges are really, really fun. I'm, I'm enjoying yeah. their floor shows. They're, they're yeah, finally getting a little more creative. <laughs> the vampire beach party i'm like that's a, how did they come up with this but also i love it <laughs> right it's almost like it was like okay we're gonna just pick words out of um different bowls and we're gonna combine yeah. them and there you go I'm, but i'm here for it <laughs> yeah um now this is your chance to speak to all drag artists out there what makes a good collaboration um Having a clear vision of what you want, but also being open to compromising if what you want is not possible. Uh, being communicative, showing up when you've agreed to, <laughs> paying on time, um, willing to be flexible. What else? Yeah, I, I can imagine that like there are definitely is out there i mean 
we know divas we've all experienced the divas side before <laughs> um but I, I i'm someone who who really strives on the beauty of collaboration i, I think flexibility mm-hmm. is the biggest part of a, a good working collaboration is being able to communicate and be flexible and be like we have the same goal we're going to get there it may not be the way you want it but we're going to get there um, especially lately, now that I've been pulled in so many directions, the people mm. who are more likely to work with are the ones who are more likely to work with me. The one, you know, right. I've had people come for a fitting at 3 a.m. after their gig to give me more time. I've had people send me their sewing machine <laughs> when mine was broken and I told them I couldn't work. Um, the One of the craziest, well, I'll tell you two stories of All just right, like, what my life is like at this point. Um, I had done Rosé's tour outfit for the drive and drag over the summer. Mm. And it was this full vinyl catsuit, which she was dancing in for several hours a night, every night outside mm-hmm. in the summer. So the vinyl kept corroding and we had to repair it a couple times while she was on the course of the tour. And there was one night where she did a show in Philly, drove back up to New York, got back to New York at 3 a.m., sent me the outfit, Then we both slept for a couple hours. Then she had to wake up early to do a gig in New York in the morning. I worked on her outfit. She came and picked it up and then drove back down to Philly and did another show in Philly that night. Odd. Yeah. That sounds too much. Then the other insane experience that happened recently was Candy's look for the VMAs, Mm -hmm. which she got that call on like the Thursday before when it was on a Sunday. And she's like, you know, I really want to work with you for this. What can you do? I know it's not a lot of time. And that was also, you know, the day before Bushwick. (laughs) And I was working on like six looks for Bushwick. So it's like, I don't know, like, I, I feel like I can't say no to this, but I don't really have time. Like, I, I think the earliest I'd be able to go get fabric is Saturday morning because I have back-to-back fittings for the next two days because of all the stuff I've already booked. So she came into the city and did the fabric shopping. I was on FaceTime with me on and off for like two hours between my meetings to figure out what was going on. She brought me the fabric. I finished all my Bushwick things. I started the look at 11 p.m. Saturday night. I worked all through the night finished around 6.30 in the morning, sent her photos of it as she was getting on a plane from Ohio back to the city. I went to go sleep for a couple hours. She landed at 10 a.m., called a car for me and all of my stuff, my machines, my sewing kit, the outfit, to go to her place in Jersey City, got there at 11 a.m., did a fitting with her as she had just gotten home. Then she went to go get ready. I sat in her living room with my sewing machines and (laughs) did the alterations and the finishings, helped her get dressed and sent her back to the city by 4 p.m. And then I went back to the city and dropped off the last of my Bushwick stuff. <laughs> and then Same. went home and didn't talk to anyone for 24 hours. And, and you earned that, absolutely. I mean, how do you balance your time being so in demand? Do you budget time to sleep or are you someone who just has to keep going because you have the passion for it? That is something I'm still working on. <laughs> I hear that. Me too. I mean, especially this past Halloween rush, it got to the point where I realized I had booked 
so many projects just because I wanted to do everything that sure. even if I didn't sleep, I wouldn't have time for all of it. So I had to, you know, make a lot of compromises during those couple of weeks and apologize to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now I'm working to budget my time better and, you know, be more strategic with which projects I take on and take on less projects with the knowledge that these crazy last minute things are going to happen. Sure. And I'm also in the process of looking for an assistant because I had an assistant back in like winter 2019 and then that ended up not working out. And, you know, then everything shut down. I didn't need an assistant for two years because not much was happening. But now that it's right. back, it's like, all right, I need a new assistant. <laughs> Absolutely. The world's back, so you're back to yeah. be in full force. Okay, so what basics does a aspiring drag race queen need to know before putting stepping foot in the workroom? Obviously, there's going to be a design challenge, and I am tired of the storyline. I don't know how to sew. <laughs> Ladies, you know what this show is going to do. You know you're going to have to sew something. So what advice would you give to aspiring Rue girls um, about sewing, and what, what basics do they need to learn to walk into that room and be prepared? Um, I would say, you know, know your way around a sewing machine. Know how the straight stitch works. Know how the zigzag stitch works. I don't think they give them overlocks. That's a little more complicated. Uh, but ideally, if you're working with stretch fabric, that's what you would be using. And something interesting that I've done is I've had girls ask me to make them basic patterns mm -hmm. that they can take with them. Because I know Project Runway, you're not allowed to bring patterns with you, but Drag Race, you are. So if you get you know, a bodysuit, a cat suit, a sleeve, you can do a lot with that. Um, you can take the top. I, I, be, I believe Hi, Honey got one from you, or she yeah. learned from you, because I was on honey. Team Honey for that whole yeah. experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, she actually worked with me for a couple months, and we were doing weekly sewing lessons where I taught yeah. her, you know, how to do different seams, how to put in a zipper, how to do a hem, how to do different patterns, how to assemble existing patterns, and I think that that's a smart way of doing it, of just like absolutely a designer to learn the different basics and learn how pattern pieces come together if you're bringing patterns. And then my secret trick is just learn how to make a circle skirt, learn how to make a circle ruffle. There's a lot you can do with that. <laughs> and there it looks go. really for a very small amount of work that, you know, you can make a top, you can make a skirt, you can do it diagonally and have like a sash thing. You can cover a skirt or anything in these like tiers of ruffles. Uh, it's a very easy way to make a dramatic silhouette without having to do that much sewing at all. You're just attaching it along the top. Yeah, see, simple things, ladies. There you go. I mean, of course, if you can't do any of that, you just find a bunch of paper bags, glue mm -hmm. it to a corset, and <laughs> still remain on the show because it's so iconic. <laughs> Obviously, the Drag Race fandom can be toxic. When a queen puts themselves on the show, it's opening up a litany of conversations on social media and Reddit. As a designer for the queens on the show, how do you grapple with the comments? Or are you someone who doesn't read them? So last, um, season 13 was the first time I really had to grapple with that. Mm -hmm. Because it was, 
and I don't mean this in a negative way. Like I love candy, but it was the yeah. first time I had been working with someone who was not well received by the fan base. Totally. Um, you know, in the past, I've been working with a lot of more of the like fan favorites. Although I did get a little bit of it um, after Monet won All Stars, when people were upset about it. So like people were coming onto my page and like leaving racial slurs. <laughs> like, what do you want me Please. to do? About this? 31. <laughs> um, but with Candy, you know, seeing people's opinions every week, I started feeling very gaslit about it. Sure. Seeing all these people who were not able to separate their opinion of Candy as the person they perceived her to be versus what she was actually doing. And seeing people say that the things that I had done were like the worst thing that had been on the show when I knew that they were good garments. Right. <laughs> I was like, are we looking at the same thing? What's going on here? And I kind of like stopped checking Facebook and Instagram for the second half of season 13 because I was just like in a really bad place about all that and like all these review shows and just like week after week seeing people like tear apart work that I was proud of and I stood by. <laughs> was driving me a little bit nuts and you know then it's like as much as you avoid it people would come onto my page and say nasty things and then as soon as I try to talk to them they're like well why are you getting so upset it's just my opinion it's like well you didn't have to tell me this. exactly <laughs> think. Uh, but something that was really nice is myself 10 yards and pinwheel have this little group chat and Every time one of us had something on the show, the other ones would watch all of the like review things and let the other one know, like, you know, oh, they said something really nice, or like, you might not want to watch this, they were really mean about sure. it. <laughs> so I think that like mutual looking out for each other was really helpful to like not go completely insane and also have people who are going through the same experience be able to tell you, like, no, the fans are being crazy, like you yeah. are good at what we do. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, because I mean, Pinwheel uh, last season that 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 was a lot. The what what the people put Pinwheel through, I was like, oh my yeah. god, calm down. But at least Pinwheel was able to make a joke out of it and and make yeah. it a moment. Um, but yeah, the fandom is crazy, and believe me, as someone who reviews the show weekly, I talk about yourself all the time, and I I bring it with a critical eye, and I know mm -hmm. your work, and I know what you're doing is quality, but I look at it through the lens of what the show is asking, what the queen is wearing and what, what we're seeing. There are just people who can't uh, take the two of them apart and it drives me nuts as well. It, it, it's crazy. Yeah. One of the weirder comments I got was for Candy's LeMay runway, which was not my favorite thing that I've made. I was very nervous to see it on the show because I was not happy with it, but it had this whole backstory of like why it was so unimpressive mm -hmm. and like, the road it took to like get her anything to wear. <laughs> and, you know, in this whole story that I posted, and it, it ended up being like one of my highest liked Instagram posts of the year, even though it's like the least impressive look. <laughs> <laughs> Just because like the story behind it is so insane. Um, it was designed by another designer who he had a personal emergency. He couldn't right, do right, it anymore. I remember this. So like she came to me at the last minute and then it was July 4th weekend, so the store wasn't open. So we had to like talk to someone who knew someone who knew someone to like get in the freight entrance to get the fabric. <laughs> and so like someone commented on it being like, oh, so 
she like bypassed the COVID restrictions to get into the store that wasn't open. That seems really irresponsible. <laughs> like, no, the point is like, this is the level of insanity we had to go through to make this happen Absolutely. during a time where none of the stores were open. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. These fans, they're, 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 they really just, they have their opinions and they stick to it. And you're like, I'm not changing your opinion. You're not worth my time. Peace out. Yeah. Something interesting I noticed recently was I made this yellow mesh gown for Monet that she wore. I think it was her like Miss Congeniality step down after she had mm-hmm. recently won All-Stars. And at the time it was like, this is horrible. She looks disgusting. This is the worst, least impressive finale dress ever blah 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 blah. and they just like tore her to shreds to the point where we had been planning on doing a second one in nude and she scrapped it because people were so mean about that one even though like we both thought it looked good and then she recently wore it to a different event and with like not terribly different styling it was like different makeup and different hair but like the rest of the dress was still exactly the same and you know, she shared photos of it, I shared photos of it, and now that she's got a better opinion in the fan base, all of a sudden it's like, wow, she looks so elegant, this is gorgeous, I love this, it's like, it's the same dress that you were saying awful things about a couple years ago. Yep, yep, insane. Now, you mentioned Project Runway, is that a show you would be interested in competing on? I've been considering it, I keep joking with people that it would be a nice vacation. Yeah. (laughs) oh, I have two full drays and $400 to make one dress and I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to feed myself. I don't have to go to other meetings. That sounds great. <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't know if it would actually benefit me that much because, first of all, something I've noticed as someone who's watched the show since the beginning, they're very biased against costume designers. Sure. And it falls into this thing where, like, once you're branded as a costume designer they'll call anything interesting you do costumey and kind of discredit it. But then if you tone yourself down too much, then they're like, oh, well, we're not seeing your voice in it. You're right. Uh, And then also, like, I feel like almost no one who's been on Project Runway has benefited that much from it in the industry. They kind of just go back to what they were doing before. Mm -hmm. So I don't know whether it'd be worth it for me to take that much time off of work to go do that. That's fair. Yeah, I, I haven't really been able to watch this season, but um, I know Aaron Michael is on, who um, has designed for a bunch of the queens, including the colonoscopy. I know she was considered for a couple potential things for this season, but um, didn't end up working out. But yeah, I, I think it's it's just interesting to see um, when you can put the two worlds together and and bring your love for drag into Project Runway and see how they mm-hmm. interact with it. Um, but yeah, it- that very interesting seeing Garrow on the show who I worked mm-hmm. with for years and seeing the advantages that being a costume designer who works on individual commission helped him as opposed to these people who are just like making things for size two models without right. any input from anyone else where I remember there was one of the challenges where they had to like work with a real person client who like was not model sized and also had opinions on what they wanted to wear. And all of these runway designers were freaking out be like, I don't know how to do a client. They have opinions, that's not what I want to do. And then Garrow was like, here, I made you three full outfits. Which one do you want? There you go. Yeah. So a little birdie told me that when you're not designing involved in drag, music is a main thing in your life. 
Yes. Tell us about music. What what is it about music and what are you involved in? So I've ended up in a couple of different like cult followings for different bands. Um, the main one that I've been involved with since like 2006, 2007 is this band called the World Inferno Friendship Society. And you know, when people are like, what kind of music is that? I'm like, it's exactly the kind of music you think that I would listen to by looking at me. <laughs> it's like, you know, kind of Halloween circus cabaret orchestra. There's like 12 band members. I've got accordion. <laughs> They've got circus performers on stage. Here for it. Yeah. Um, so the, they like have this reputation for this very cult-like fan base. And that was something I was aware of when I first started following them. And of course ended up being involved with it. Um, at this point, I've seen them somewhere between 80 and 90 times. And that's low for the people I know. Like I know multiple people who've yeah. seen them times. I've flown to California to see them. I've flown to Florida to see them. I've like road tripped around the whole Northeast. And, you know, the music itself is good, but it's also this kind of like, traveling party free fall like let's yeah. go on an adventure to somewhere we wouldn't have gone otherwise <laughs> like you know ohio or pittsburgh or whatever and like it's just this very communal atmosphere of like you know we're gonna pile in this car we're gonna pile in this hotel room and like it's given me a lot of interesting experiences that i wouldn't have gotten otherwise and also it helped me a lot in like coming out of my shell and being able to go to a show by myself and like just talk to people and make friends there and you know follow them back to whatever they were doing afterward because like I even through like past college was like a very shy reserved person who like didn't want to talk to anyone and didn't have any friends um so that's helped me a lot and there's like a couple other bands like that I don't know how much you want me to go on. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I love it. I mean, we're, we're going to play another music, a play music game in a little bit, but I, I, I understand because there, there, there's something about music that even if there are band, we just feel this attachment to, and it just, you, you go travel the world for them and you do all these crazy things because it does bring this immense joy. I've only traveled once to go seek out a band. And that was, I went to Vegas when uh, Queen and Adam Lambert did their residency mm -hmm. and I couldn't tell you what happened to the performance because I was crying the entire time. Literally, uh -huh. I took video. I, I, you hear myself crying over Adam Lambert's impressive vocals. But that's yeah. the kind of thing that music does to us, and that's what I love about it. What other bands are in your, in your, let, let's say your top three? If and that may be hard to do, but what's your top three? Uh, so the other band who I've gotten on a plane to go see is this band called The Matches, who mm -hmm. they're this like kind of experimental pop punk. They were calling themselves art pop before Lady Gaga was, like back in like 2007. Mm -hmm. um, and I found out about them like 2004, 2005, uh, and was really drawn to them because like they were, uh, My Chemical Romance was also like a huge, sure. that was like my life in high school. So they were kind of in that same sphere of this like, you know, pop punk emo, vibe but like a little more interesting a little more artsy and their front man does everything himself he like made all the band's outfits he made all the music videos he did all the merch 
Uh, and like the whole band was very hands-on and creative in how they were doing things. Like when they were first starting out, they would have this tradition of if they were opening for a bigger show or there was just a big show happening in the area, they would go and play in the parking lot for free as the audience was letting out and get oh, audience cool. Yeah, so that was very much their vibe. And so I really liked them. I only got to see them once and it just like never worked out otherwise because they're from California. Mm. And then they broke up and then they did this 10 year reunion show which this is a whole other thing. Like there was a whole documentary made about the fact that like they never really got the attention that they should have gotten their first time around, but then they did what was supposed to be just like one single 10 year reunion show in California that sold out in less than two minutes and ended up being a worldwide tour that was all sold out. And they're just like, where did all these fans come from that like, wh yeah. where were you in the first place? Uh, so I went there for that and then I ended up following and they ended up doing like, a tour for each of their three albums and you know I've made this group of friends through you know being with people who fall in that I've like gotten to be pretty friendly with the band and you know now having the band following me I've done a couple of numbers to their songs and then like them coming to shows being like that was so cool and I'm like <laughs> like I've been looking up to you since I was 13. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, that. Yeah. And then the other main circle that I'm involved right now is this musician named Will Wood, who it's very hard to, he does everything from like, you know, punk, loud, raucous music to like doo-wop <laughs> to acoustic right. ukulele, like very all over the place. Um, and I, found out about him because he was opening for World Inferno, the other band I was talking about. And I was just like, wow, this is like <laughs> exactly the kind of music that I've been looking for. And, you know, at the time he was this small local act who I was seeing play to like 10 people. And like, I became pretty friendly with him. So now like we're close friends and I'm still like involved in his fan spaces. I recently helped him out with one of his music videos um, and so <laughs> the part that I didn't get to for the Inferno thing is their lead singer passed away this past year um, and I was very involved with you know putting together like memorials and stuff like that um, actually I have this book over here so like a bunch of venues in the area like put up marquees awesome in yeah. honor of him and I was going around leaving these like little shrines at all of the venues that they used to play uh that got picked up and stuff like that so I think the Willwood sphere is kind of the next generation of that um that he so a lot of his ethos as an artist is kind of pushing back against the whole social media grind and you know expecting people to be present and be part of this like algorithm churning sure. so he's kind of like off social media and he also is someone who struggled with addiction and is now sober so he has gotten this habit for doing these little pop-up shows in unexpected locations like in the park on the boardwalk in asbury park like you know 
in these like weird places where it's just like come find me and then we'll just like play to all these people for free whoever shows up and my friends and I have developed this culture there of you know everyone brings little gifts for the other people or like we'll bring food and make it like a potluck situation there was one show that was like in a little campground thingy that had a barbecue so we like had a whole barbecue (laughs) so that's kind of you know when I'm tired of dealing with nightlife it's just like I'm gonna go (laughs) run off to the woods and hang out with these people (laughs) hey you know what we got it we we all have to have our things and that's that's kind of amazing well we're gonna speaking of music let's stick with it we are going to play Pureta's ultimate playlist Music is universal. It brings people together and helps give a little insight on a person. In this Mm -hmm. game, we are going to create a playlist of nine songs that are the soundtrack to your life. So I'm going to give you a little prompt and you're going to pick a song that fits that prompt. Okay. You ready? All right. A song from your childhood. Mm. We'll go Wannabe by Spice Girls. All right. The song that would be in the opening credits of the movie of your life. That's a hard one. I don't know. I don't even decide that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm so bad at like favorites and superlatives. I like forget everything I know. Ah, same. I don't even know. <laughs> All right. We'll, 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 we'll put a pin on that and we'll get back to it. A song that gets you in the mood to party. Mood. Oh, they're so hard. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're good. Um, oh, believe me. Every when people put me on the spot, I'm like, uh, do I have memories? I don't know. I don't know anything. <laughs> Let's do "Killing It" by Foxy Shazam. All right. A song to fall asleep to. No, I like mostly listen to upbeat music. I'm like trying so to. So do I. Quiet. I always say for me, if I need to fall asleep, I'll listen. I'll put on Rufus Wainwright. Hmm. He's just very melodic. That's my that's my sleep music. Or I'll just random pick random classical music, and I'm like, I can't handle it going to bed. Classical music is a good one. I <laughs> my hairstylist when I was younger used to always play classical music, and like my mom would bring me there at like nine in the morning, so I would just be like passed out. So mm-hmm. classical music for that one. <laughs> A song that you know all the lyrics to. Um, that one will do Love Me Normally by Will Woods because that one I'm very proud of. I That's the one I do my gender reveal act for. Mm-hmm. And I started out doing the live version and then I ended up doing the studio version when that was released. So I had to memorize this whole like two minute monologue in the middle for both versions (laughs) so i'm very proud of knowing all of those words because like knowing words is something that i struggle with because i'm dyslexic so we'll go with that one a song that reminds you of summer pride of lions by maniac right a song that you listen to when you're down There are questions. I realize I'm crazy. (laughs) Huh? I'm crazy asking hard questions. But you know what? That's the fun of it. No, I just like, I'm blanking on everything I listen to. (laughs) Same. Um, No, I'm I'm the kind of person when I'm like, okay, you get to choose music. I'm like, I don't know. I want to listen to everything. I can't pick. 
pull up this. I have this playlist that is called Songs to Sew Sequin Bodysuits to at 4 a.m. And this is all of my like hype music. Um, sure. Let's go with I'm Not Okay by Michael Romance. That That's one. a great one. Yeah. Um, a song that makes you feel powerful. Total Eclipse of the Heart. All right. And finally, the song that made you who you are. Ooh. My punk romance would also work for that one. Um, hmm. You can have a repeat artist. Yeah. I feel like that one should be a World Inferno song. I'm trying to think of which one. Um, all right, Addicted to Bad Ideas by World Inferno Friendship Society. There you go. Now, you had mentioned your gender reveal number. Yes. I love to learn what my guests find to consider to be their signature numbers. Would that, would you say that is your signature number? Um, I think that you have one, a couple. Yeah, that one and the Don't Grab Me with the hands mm -hmm. I did at my drums. That would be my other signature, but that one, it's like semi-retired, both because it was in reaction to such a specific event and also right. because it's never going to be as good as it was at nightgowns with the big screen projection. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, how, this, did, how did they yeah. become your signature numbers? Because, like, again, when you, you get books, usually those are the requests that um, I know a lot of mm -hmm. people want to see. I do think it kind of goes both ways, where... I do think that those two are the ones that I've put the most thought into. So therefore they are my better acts. Um, but I also think, you know, because I am proud of them, I have more fun doing them so people respond better. Um, and also like, I like doing them. So I do them more so people see them more. There's other numbers that I really like that I've only done once or twice because it was such a specific context. Like the one that I did at Iconic with the sewing machine yep. on the stage. Mm -hmm. I love that one, but like, where am I going to do that that I can plug a sewing machine in? Appar <laughs> Apparently Drag Race when you're Raja O'Hara. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, that's the only time I've ever done that one. But like, I've had people say that that's one of my more iconic numbers, even though yeah. like, I only ever did it that one time. <laughs> it was really memorable because it wasn't something anyone's really seen before aside from Bianca doing it. But it was also one of those situations where it was so cool and you did it with such ease it really was a very memorable number thank you i was really excited about that one because i think it was like the performance theme was jobs and then the runway theme was drag race so it's like i'm going to combine my job with my favorite drag race number that actually the video of bianca's number that went viral was a video that i took <laughs> and, no like, way yeah and I remember seeing that live being like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I've never seen anyone do this before. Like I had just finished this amateur drag competition where like for our final, like our top three thing, they, and it, it was digital. So like they had us do like a lip sync, a swimsuit look and a talent and the talent could not be lip syncing. It had to be something else. So I was like, can I do a sewing tutorial? And they said, no, it has to be something you could do on stage. And so then that happened. I was like, you can sew on stage. Yes, you can. <laughs> yeah. So for that, I ended up doing this like stupid burlesque number. <laughs> That's all but, right. Yeah. 
we're gonna play finish the sentence i'll give you very easy little sentences you just finish the sentence okay. my favorite color is does black and white count sure it does <laughs> if i were an animal i would be um armadillo all right my celebrity crush is alan coming oh yeah my dream vacation is paris my biggest pet peeve is lack of communication that's a good one the country that needs their own iteration of drag races who doesn't have them at this point? I'm trying to think. Like, I feel like <laughs> that's the, the, team. the Latin American drag scene is really interesting and they haven't really gotten their own spotlight yet. I would yeah. also love to see like Japan. Mm-hmm. I don't know what scene they have, but I feel like it would be really interesting. Absolutely. The fabric or material I wish drag artists would stop using is. <laughs> I hate that mermaid sequin, the two-way stuff. Two-way sequin. I knew it's going to be that. I knew it. I love it not for, to see on people but to have on a pillowcase and it is so soothing um and finally the dream look that i secretly want to design for myself is hmm. i've got a few one that i've been meaning to do is just like a full rainbow neoprene ruffle gown just like giant pile of ruffles with all of my neoprene scraps. And then the other one is I've been collecting all of the pieces of zippers that I trim for like years and I have this giant shopping bag of them. So I want to make something with those, but I still haven't decided what yet. How does gender identity play a role in drag and nightlife? That's a big question. <laughs> I mean, obviously drag at its heart is an exploration of gender. So there's that angle. There's also, um, which I'm glad has been discussed a lot recently in regards to Dragula of, you know, the imbalance of male performers versus female and totally. AHUB performers. Um, I also think, you know, Trans people and particularly AFAB people have different reasons for doing drag mm -hmm. than gay men who are doing drag. And I think that's where a lot of the disconnect comes in of Absolutely. gay men thinking that, you know, these other people are not valid. Like something I've always thought was really interesting was on Drag Race, something that frequently comes up is like, you know, oh, my biggest drag inspiration is my mom or, you know, whoever. <laughs> like, I don't know any female and AFAB performers who, like, are doing drag inspired by the women in their life. Yeah. That, especially in Brooklyn, like, most of the trans and AFAB performers are coming from a place of, like, reclaiming their own femininity in a distorted way or doing something completely detached from it these like you know monstrous creaturey looks and like have no interest in looking like a woman <laughs> yeah. um and i think also you know drag is important to gender identity because 
a lot of people figure out who they are through doing drag. Absolutely. And it gives people this space to like play and try out different identities and see which one they feel most comfortable with, both on stage and off. The drag is becoming more and more mainstream. Is it going mm -hmm. in the right direction? In what regard? <laughs> I mean, obviously we have shows that are bringing mm -hmm. drag into the spotlight and and at least in America, the the general public are getting to learn what we've always known is a brilliant art form. Um, is it helping the scene in, as a whole or is it detrimental? Because like Drag Race, we're only seeing a certain kind of person on the show. And it's really taking, what, 13 seasons to break that mold? Hmm. I do think as a whole, it is helpful to, you know, be educating people about what drag is, what queernesses just you know normalizing that whole thing i do have a lot of opinions on what the drag race empire <laughs> is doing to the drag community as a whole mm -hmm. just as a result of how many seasons are being put out the level of content that's expected from these people and it's spiraling out of control a little bit at this yeah. point i'm feeling it a lot as a designer having every queen from the moment they start drag feeling like they need these big elaborate expensive looks for every appearance they do right. and you know having the queens from the show constantly doing things and just on this grind of like tours, appearances, photo shoots, brand deals. And like, yeah. I think that the community is suffering by, what is the word? It's like reached peak saturation and it's hitting yeah, a wall. It, it, it is a little bit oversaturated and, and not in a bad way, but it, 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 it's, it's not giving the, the moments that like each individual season when you'd have it once a year would you would right. get where you'd be like oh my god i get to celebrate this queen for an entire year like wait we got a new season starting next week bye and it yeah. it, it, it kind of sucks but now when it comes to you um and i know uh this was a question that and, and con uh, post that was uh created about when it comes to designers and working with queens going on to drag race and the expectations put on the designers is is there it has it reached a point that the show the producers world of wonder maybe it's time to start reaching out to the to people like you who are consistently designing for the contestants that maybe there needs to be a little bit more of a dialogue with hey here's what we're doing here's a bit of a heads up of a schedule let's be on the same page so we can all produce the best work possible yeah no i think that that absolutely needs to happen that's something i've talked about with you know, a bunch of people in the community that having this stuff sprung on us and having no time, no resources, putting the costs mostly on the contestants to make yeah. this happen is not sustainable. <laughs> not at all. And, you know, especially now, um, like this past year, July to the previous July, I worked on five seasons of Drag Race, and that's not all of the seasons that we're filming. And uh, it used to be, there would be 
one season, maybe two, if they were doing an all-stars, that was a lot easier to, you know, drop what I was doing for two weeks and just focus on that and not tell anyone why I wasn't working with them. But if it's every other month, (laughs) that doesn't work (laughs) when you're not giving us any warning or any chance to catch our breath before the next one hits. Because I don't know if this is true, but I've, it seems reasonable. I've heard that there's two different production teams for the regular seasons and for all-stars and that's how they can film them back to back but there's not twice as many designers it's still the same dozen of us who everyone is coming to for every season and something that I realized recently which is kind of obvious but it kind of just like clicked into my head is when I started doing this it was like okay I have just peppermint and then I have like just peppermint and Monet and honey and then I have like and it just keeps growing and it's gone from having one person on each season to having three people on each season. And now I'm having, you know, people from other cities from past seasons contacting me (laughs) and like the scope of the people I'm responsible for keeps growing, but their amount of designers is not growing at the same degree. So every designer is getting overwhelmed because there's not enough of us to take care of, you know, now there's like three seasons worth of Queens every year. (laughs) Now, I I know that there always is a conversation on the show about, well, this queen has money and this queen has no money and they're making things out of whatever they can find. Mm -hmm. It would be crazy. And I know the show would not be like, let's do this. But what, what, what do you think the show would look like if they said you 14 are on the show, here is your budget go to mm-hmm. town. Do you think that would alter the show and maybe go back to seeing the artists for who they are? I think that that would be a good idea. It, I think it was especially obvious for that season 13 final runway. Yes. Yeah. That it was very clear who had the connections and the resources to be doing you know, mm-hmm. these really elaborate looks that you know, I don't even want to know how much this cost. No, nope, neither do I. You know, whereas, you know, if you don't have the money to do that, like, what are you going to do? And not having the show offer much support behind the scenes, I think, is really detrimental. And, you know, having someone who can... This is kind of a different issue, but something similarly upsetting and frustrating to me as a designer is you know no shade to Simone she's great at what she does but seeing someone who has the body type and the connections to be wearing off the rack Moschino when someone like Candy is never gonna be able to have access to that and she has to get all of her stuff custom made just because that was the body she was born into like it feels like cheating almost. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I I think we we've de- the show has definitely evolved, and and I it, it's something that if I ever have time, I would like to do like an evolution of Drag Race style podcast where I go mm-hmm. through the series and 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 look at how the show has evolved because it has evolved into this something worldwide and beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. But remember when season one rolled around and like Rebecca Glasscock's <laughs> wearing things that you literally could get at H and M RuPaul. Why didn't you yell at her then? Um, yeah. but, the, but drag has evolved and 
maybe maybe there needs to be a spin-off show because I know they wouldn't do on the main show, but kind of like Painted Like Raven, maybe it needs to be an entire season of drag designers who create their looks week after week. Um, or because, I mean, I may be in the minority in it, with Drag Race UK this past season, the episode where they um, did the three looks within the day, you're that's back to the roots of drag you're the yeah. drag queen styling yourself and i i would love to be able to see that kind of challenge again um mm-hmm. was it because of filming in uk was heather on little things i don't know but i it, it was just exciting to see the queens mm-hmm. use a different skill set that we haven't gotten to see in a while but I don't know. Maybe there's another spinoff where we're putting all the designers of all the queens on the yeah. show and be like, let's do a fucking runway show of all the designers and celebrate their work. Yeah. No, I would love to see something like that. The thing is, because I've talked to a couple people of like doing some sort of like road to the runway. Because yeah. I think the process of getting ready for the show is really interesting. And that's not something that most people ever get to see. But the problem is... <laughs> The Queen's NDAs are so strict that they're technically not supposed to tell the designers what it's for. So in order to have the designers involved in the process, they would either be breaking the NDAs or they would have to rewrite the contracts. And I think the other thing is if they lift up that curtain and show how these looks are getting made behind the scenes, then, you know, World of Wonder loses some of its glory of these, you know, best costume Emmy nominations. I've talked to a lot of people who don't realize that the queens aren't making those looks themselves every week for the show. Yeah. And being shocked to hear that all of that is created before they even fly out for filming. I mean, listen, if they want, if they want to keep their best um, uh, costume nominations for the regular show, fine. But maybe like doing a road to the runway for the all-star seasons where, you know, the Queens already and mm-hmm. the access to getting that information of who's going to be on is much easier. Maybe that's where it is, where it's a, a, it's a celebration of the collaboration process mm-hmm. because it is so beautiful. And again, working with honey on um, her road to the show was like the most wild three weeks of my mm-hmm. life where I was and in, we were in that room, like the night before. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I was, at the, I was at the Uber at 6am. Yeah. Like I think it, it's crazy, but I, I, I would love for the fans to see how much dedication it yes. takes to put a team together to create the artist you're seeing on the show. Cause it's mm-hmm. not just that one person. It takes a village to put a drag artist on mm-hmm. stage. I was also talking to someone the other day about how it would be really funny to do a makeover challenge. That's all of the designers who the Queens have worked yeah. with. And first of all, it's just funny to be like, oh, I made all your outfits. Now you have to make me something in two days and make me look good. But then like, you know, the person I was talking to was like, that would also be really good TV of like the drama of assigning the people and who's worked with who before and who's screwed who over. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. And yeah. listen, we know it's manufactured reality TV sometimes and drama. And that's how uh, RuPaul's getting her Emmys. She's doing it well. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, speaking of drama and tea, we're going to play my favorite game. It is called Tea Time. You are going to get to spill some tea on some of your favorite 
drag queens, friends, collaborators, people you may have been on the stage with, people you may have dressed before, and you're going to spill some tea, some stories, whatever you want to say about each. Or it can be just a giant love fest that it usually ends up being. So we're going to start off with Jasmine Rice LaBeja from the Royal House of LaBeja. I don't know. She cracks me up because everything is just such a production. Um, I've made more undergarments for her than I've made actual outfits because it's these giant hoop scarves and the petticoats that go over it. Uh, I made her this ball gown petticoat that I think it was an entire roll of 50 yards of fabric plus another 20 yards and it took up my entire room. And like I have a lot of respect for her for all of her looks being like 20 plus yards of fabric <laughs> because there's so many other queens who are just like here's my one yard let's make a leotard Good so luck. i love like how over the top everything she does is next up is one of my favorite drag queens and i'm still pissed off she's not on the show yet pixie aventura <laughs> i love pixie i mean, she's one of the first ones who was like one of my repeat clients mm-hmm. um and I think she deserves a lot more credit than she gets. Um, so, you know, a great performer. She's really smart. Um, she comes up with a lot of the concepts that I create for her. She comes to me with this like notebook full of sketches and we sit down and figure out what we're going to do with everything. Um, I've always really enjoyed working with her. Next is the pint-sized pocket rocket of New York City, Hibiscus. <laughs> Hibiscus is another one who... Um, she'll just constantly be throwing stuff at me. I think I probably made more stuff for her than anyone else. Um, and then she also was one of the ones paying the rent during lockdown when the stores weren't open because, because she's so small and because it's always dance costumes, there's just mm-hmm. like, okay, what do you want? She's like, I want something with flames on it. So I'll just pull out like whatever <laughs> scraps I had in the corner of like red yellow and orange and like make her a full costume without ever having to go fabric shopping <laughs> so it was her and it was bob with all of the houndstooth that we bought the bolt back in january so i like had all of that already next is that bitch adriana trenta <laughs> adriana and i go way back i met her when she was backup dancing as a boy for so you think you can drag when I was huh? helping out backstage and it was one of these things where like I had two different Facebooks she had two different Facebooks I think she had three probably <laughs> and like it took us a while to realize that we already knew each other when we first started like connecting and I'm, I think that like I made her outfit for her first drag performance ever oh, cool yeah and she <laughs> like we've had a, a whole journey um I'm really proud of her how far she's come because like you know she was like a little bit hard to deal with when we first started working together and it, it was kind of <laughs> just but like now like we're pretty close at this point like I would consider her a friend in addition to yeah. a client I believe you designed her uh, little mix outfit for my little mix show the green one yeah yeah, that was the outfit that launched a thousand D-ring stuff. Yeah, because <laughs> there it is. That there's like. Mm. All right, we're gonna lump the next three together because they are lovingly known as Stephanie's child. Mm-hmm. 
it's been interesting seeing like you know I started working with them the first staff assistant for them were like a very Stephanie's child like pink mm -hmm. blue purple group outfit and then working with them separately since then like it's interesting seeing like how their individual personalities and aesthetics come out now that they're each doing their own things and I actually I think that it's benefited them a lot to be yeah. able to do their own things in addition to that you know if you are stuck in this group thing you're not really being your full self and especially Rosé I've been very proud of how much she's come out of her shell um, since I first started working with her and like you know bloomed into this more outgoing and um, you know all-around polished performer yeah it's really it is really cool to see how they have grown and yet if you tell them we're doing a look together they can pull it off so easily it's mm -hmm. and that that's a good sisterhood yeah and then the Halloween looks that I just did mm -hmm. for them, the VMA stuff, that was the project <laughs> that almost broke me during that week where like everything was already just like insane. Cause like, you know, all of them are doing all these different things. So like they weren't able to come for fittings until the night before the shoot. Oh. So I had from like midnight to 10 AM to do alterations of all three looks. Like, uh, but we made it work. Next up is someone who I hope is going to be the host of Drag Race France, Nikki Doll. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, Nikki also, I've known since before she was on the show. And a funny thing about her is she had originally contacted me to do her Bushwig look for 2018, I think. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you know, she messaged me on Instagram and she had like tens of thousands of followers and mm -hmm. I had never heard of her because she was new to the city. And it's like, who is this person? Like, she's really pretty. Okay. And then I remember she like canceled our first meeting twice before we actually were able to link up because she had like other scheduling conflicts for work. And I was like, not sure that she was a real person until we actually <laughs> met. And then like once I met her and then I remember she like got, I think it was Chinese Vogue to come like do a feature on her Bushwick number. So it's like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> and then a couple of months later, she got cast for Drag Race. Like, okay. <laughs> picks out, picks out. Yeah. All right. Next, we have one of the most incredible drag artists on the planet, Sasha Valor. <laughs> Sasha, yeah, she's my favorite. Um, a funny story about her is I became aware of her like when her cellophane number first started going viral, like mm -hmm. shortly before she was cast. And so I think I added her on Facebook and then somewhere along the way, some friend of hers from college who had been following me on Tumblr from years before, sent her one of my performances. <laughs> and so then the first time I met her and like, I was just like, I don't get starstruck just by like being around someone who was on TV. Cause like, especially at this point, like now that's my life, but also yeah. my dad has a lot of connections in the music industry. So like, you know, I've, he basically like trained me since I was a little kid of just like treat them like people don't be weird yep. <laughs> um, but like just because 
like I saw what she was doing I would like sit and watch all of her videos and just be like this is what I want to be doing this is like I didn't know that there was a niche for this me trying to do my like weird conceptual reveal political numbers in Hell's Kitchen and having nobody pay attention to them <laughs> and so like I went up to her and I was just like blubbering of like you're such a huge inspiration and like I wasn't in drag or anything I was just like at her show you know I don't think I was even wearing any makeup or anything and then she just stops me and goes wait a minute you do drag what's your name oh my god I love your videos like I've you know watched I've shown them to all my friends it's like what yeah <laughs> um so like we've just been like mutual appreciators of each other since then and it was like a year or more after that before I actually started working with her but I just like kept showing up to all her shows being like I really like what you do and I want to be part of this yeah I think the first and only time I've met Sasha was her first nightgowns back after filming so it was like that April um so before she won and everything and like watching her on the show I was like I don't I don't know. She's interesting. And then seeing her nightgowns, it's like, okay, I get it. This, this is an artist. Mm -hmm. Um, And just watching her blossom over the years has just been amazing. It's been really incredible to see how much she's really impacted the drag scene. Mm -hmm. I've definitely felt it like, because what I do is so similar to what she does. Yeah. Um, I've noticed that like that style of drag has become a lot more, like better received in mainstream not mm-hmm. like mainstream, but like not weird little artsy Brooklyn shows <laughs> like I can do my numbers in a Manhattan bar and like have people understand it um you know because I also like went through an interesting journey with my own drag of feeling like I had to fit in with like when I first started it was these like mixes of pop songs and dialogue because that was like the trend at the time and like not really connecting to that and then like feeling like I had to do top 40 because that's what the audience wanted and then I went to night counts and it's like oh like I can just like do a song no one's heard and like stand on stage and not dance and like there are people who want to pay attention to that (laughs) so that kind of shifted what I was doing and that's kind of the path I've been on since then amazing all right next up let i'm sure you have some stories that i don't even know about from that journey what do you got on honey davenport so my favorite honey story is actually how we started working together i don't know if you've ever heard this um it was she was preparing for miss paradise and the designer who was supposed to do her entire package had some sort of health problem and was in the hospital and all of her the stuff that he had been working on for her was locked in his apartment and nobody was able to get to it. So it was a few days before the pageant and she had no outfits for multiple categories. <laughs> and I ended up getting a call from Lindsay being like, I know it's like two days, but we need something. What can you do? So like, you know, I ended up going shopping, making something in one day and going to drop it off to her gig that night. So it was like me and her, and I forget who the other person was. There was someone else in the like tiny little monster side dressing room. <laughs> and she put on the dress and just immediately started sobbing <laughs> because she was just like so 
thankful and relieved that like we've been able to get this thing done in that amount of time and then she ended up winning Miss Paradise and then you know because I was the one who stepped up and helped her she was the one who she got the list of categories and was like here's the list here's the entire packet which ones do you want and how many did you ultimately make for her three I think I remember, I remember the fringe very well. The fringe was the one that got on. <laughs> and then I did her witch look for mm-hmm. the Halloween thing. Blue ball, yeah. Um, and then I did like a neon workout outfit that ended up being one of the mini challenges that she wasn't there for. And then I did like a beekeeper Barbie outfit for the right. Barbie mini challenge. And then mm-hmm. I did something else. And then there were like a couple of just like little pieces of things that I helped with. Right, next up, Monet Exchange. (laughs) My favorite Monet story is, so she's the one who will, you know, come for fittings at 3 a.m. after her gigs Mm -hmm. because it gives me more time to work. So there was, I think it was the, some magazine cover, it was this lavender gown with a big bow at the neck. Um, I think like Get Out magazine, maybe. And so she came to pick up that at like 3 a.m. And she was wearing a leopard print onesie. I forget if it was Uggs or sandals, but like some kind of like weird shoe. (laughs) And then um, a blue fur coat and then I think she had done like a cavewoman look that night. So she had a unibrow. <laughs> and I was just like trudging up my stairs at three in the morning. And I was like, how's it going? And she's like, oh, you know, just living my dreams. <laughs> and that just like constantly is in my brain of like, that is the mood of like, it's three in the morning. You look crazy. You're exhausted. But like, you'd rather be doing this than anything else. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, it was like 3am, we do the fitting, I finished the dress for her and she was like, cool, I'm going to go home and stone this. And then I have to wear it at 8am. Like, why oh my God. Leave. <laughs> and then another crazy experience with her was when I was doing her stuff for All Stars. I was doing a show at Bazaar. She was doing a show at Metro. And then we met back at my place in Brooklyn after that for her to pick up the rest of the stuff. And like, we both had like half our makeup on. I still had glue in my eyebrows. She still had her face on. So like, we looked crazy. And the other funny thing that night was um, when we were fitting the gold looks for the makeover, Patty was with her and was like trying on one of the outfits and was like, this is so cute. We should make one in my size. And she was like, where are you going to wear this? Like, I don't know. I just think it would be fun. And I asked Patty months later, I was like, did you know at the time that you were going to be the one wearing this? And he was like, no. Oh my <laughs> God. And then I got there and I was the one who had to do the alterations to make them from Monet size to Patty size. That's so funny. Yeah. All right. Last, but certainly not in least, the queen of the houndstooth, Bob the drag queen. A funny story about Bob is at the 
Glam Awards 2019. I feel like you may have been sitting there for this because maybe. Um, but like I was in full drag. That was the like black and white ruffly look with the tubes coming out of the head. And I had literally just done a fitting with Bob like three days earlier. And like I'd been working with her for a while at that point. And she came over to talk to Lindsay. And then like I was trying to get her attention and she was like not paying attention to me. <laughs> and then like Lindsay was like trying to get us to say hi to each other. And then like Bob just turns to me and goes, Oh hi, you look great. Have we met? And like it was Lindsay, there. Uh-huh. Look at each other and then look at her. She's like, what? <laughs> and like, I started laughing and then maybe that was like what made her realize she's like, oh my God, oh my God. Hi, wow, you look great. What? Oh my God. Looking <laughs> out for like two minutes. So then after that, I went around to the back where Bob's partner, Jacob was doing photos. So like I walk in, I'm like, hi, I don't know if you recognize me because we had met like one time in passing on the set of Drag My Dad. It's like, you know, you probably don't recognize this. Oh yeah, Whitney, Coretta, hi. <laughs> That's so funny. Now, if you were on the show and you were asked to do a Snatch Game character, who would you pick? I've thought about this a lot because like acting and especially impersonations are not something I'm good at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think visually, Lady Gaga, I get compared to a lot, but like obviously a lot of people have done Gaga and like not done a good job with it. So I'd have to figure out some way to like actually make that work. And then um, another character, which is someone who like, I would have to get back into it because it's been a while since I've been around her, but like Betsy Johnson is a really fun Mm -hmm. character and she like has very specific mannerisms and very specific sayings and just is insane so like you you watched her when she was on dancing with the stars yeah and i'm surprised (laughs) that katya has never done a betsy johnson impersonation because they're very similar both visually and personality wise i could see that oh my god now you've fallen down a rabbit hole on youtube what are you watching videos of lately i've been really into these like hour-long deep dives into like fandom drama from fandoms I don't know anything about. That's <laughs> I'm fair. Just like, let's learn about Homestuck or Animal Jam or The Onceler. <laughs> I watched like an hour and a half video about the Vampire Diaries, which I've never watched. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'll do that too. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to go watch this. And then a month goes by. It's like, oh, I forgot. I'm not going to watch it. Never mind. Never yeah. mind. Nope. <laughs> We're going to do the pop five rapid fire where I'm going to give you five pop culture headline stories, things, things you may know about. Maybe not. You'll give me a word phrase story, whatever you want to say for each thing. Okay. So number one is house of Gucci. I have not seen it yet. I haven't seen a movie in years, (laughs) but I I am waiting. You'd want to see. Yeah. I am waiting for someone to ask me for that purple chiffon thing that Gaga wore on the red carpet. Like, it's no one's asked book. yet. No one's asked yet. I saw Jasmine already recreated it, but okay. I'm, I'm waiting. I feel like it's going to happen. Number two is Squid Game. I also have not watched that. <laughs> have you gotten requests for Squid Game looks? No. 
Okay. And I also, I was surprised by how few I saw on Halloween. The only Squid Game outfit I saw was like an eight-year-old. I'm like, who's letting their eight-year-old watch no! this? Oh, no. Oh, even for me, it was a little too graphic. Yeah. Number three is just the general holiday season. I, <laughs> I'm Jewish. So like the holiday season just annoys me in general it's going I feel like it's going to be especially annoying this year because Hanukkah is next week it starts the mm -hmm. day after Thanksgiving so like I have nothing to look forward to for December it's just like everyone else's Christmas stuff uh, yep. um, and literally I put on my Instagram I was like if you want a project for December I'm giving you priority if it's not green or red because by the first week of November, I had already made six green and red looks. And yeah. I was like, I'm tired of this. <laughs> now, speaking of green and red looks for the holidays, um, I'm fairly certain you did one for a couple years ago for Fifi Dubois. Yes. And that um, went kind of viral. Um, uh, yeah. The photo that I took on Fifi, <laughs> that Fifi posted then was shared by Miss Sia. Yes. And that was the first neoprene ruffle mixed pattern dress that I made. And now I've made like six variations of it since then for everyone, including myself. Now you mentioned not getting starstruck um, and being tr like trained not to be starstruck. Do you get starstruck if anyone famous does like share your work? Yeah, no, I'll like screenshot it. Like every time I get followed by a new drag race girl, I'll privately be like, ah! <laughs> but you know, I'm not gonna like be weird to them directly. That's fair. Yeah, for me, like, I'll do the same thing, but my problem is not many people tag me in my own things mm -hmm. that I do. Like, I was the one who took the video of Tina Burner um, falling doing um, She Used to Be Mine, the the, uh -huh. the reveal, and then Sarah yeah. Barella shared it. I was like, I don't even get any credit here. I just want, like, 10 followers. Well, and that's she shared, you, like, you yeah, she shared, like, five or times. Yeah, exactly. She shared it, like, five or six times. Like, every time, like, Tina, please give me credit here. No, it's funny. I used to have to like fight with people to tag me because nobody mm -hmm. was, like, especially when I first started. Like, people weren't used to working with designers. That wasn't such a thing. Yeah. Like, the whole doing photo shoots of all of your drag race looks thing didn't even become sure. a thing until like a couple of seasons ago. So, you know, a lot of the stuff I did for like season nine, ten, like, there's no good photos of. Um, but like now, like people will tag me in photos of things where you just see one strap because like now that I'm successful, people like want to say they worked with me. Yep, that's fair. All right, number four is Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian are dating. <laughs> no, Pete Davidson just dating everyone, isn't he? What's the appeal? <laughs> Honestly, some someone tell me what the appeal is because I find him utterly repulsive <laughs> i don't know and are kim and kanye even like officially divorced I no no and they have like what thirty thousand kids uh, yeah whatever it's easier for them i can't i can't keep up with the kardashians no and finally number five is queen of the universe <laughs> i had a friend who referred to it as drag queens got singing which I feel like is very much the vibe. <laughs> like, it's just yeah. so, like, mainstream manufactured 
reality show for straight people is the vibe I'm getting. It's very uh, Eurovision, which I'm obsessed yeah. with Eurovision, but it's not the same as Eurovision. So I know I'm going to be disappointed, but I'll mm-hmm. still be covering it. I do think it's really cool that they have these queens from all these different places. Yeah. You know, queen of the universe. Um, but I'm excited to see like what these people from these other places are doing because I haven't heard of most of them. Yeah, what's for me, what's interesting, because I've done most of my research for my podcast tomorrow, um, mm-hmm. is some of them have been on other reality shows, whether it be yeah. The Voice France, um, uh, Dra- uh, X Factor UK, or whatever they are. But the one thing I did while watching all the videos is English is a very fluent language for all of them. So mm-hmm. they've like, they're not taking like the maybe the queen, the stars of each country. They're like, you can speak English. America and UK will love you. Come to our show. Mm. very interesting but yeah that's something i find interesting about canada is like you know you have the english-speaking queens and the french-speaking queens and they're kind of in the same space and being judged the same even though some of them english is not their first language or like you know the puerto rican queens on the united states seasons and then you have like adriana who speaks three languages with english being her least and it's like it's fun well, I usually have my previous guest ask my current guest a question. And guess what? I got a question from Martyr. Okay. What is your dream venue to perform on? Hmm. I don't know. Like, how do you even... You know, the world, world, world is a big place. Yeah. You've, you've hit a lot of venues in at least the New York area. Yeah. Um... I would like to do, I don't know about like specific venues, but I, something I really liked about doing nightgowns is the like full production aspect and being able to control the backdrop, the lighting, like, you know, having a full stage crew. And I would like to be able to do more of that. I feel like that's Mm -hmm. not something that there's a lot of access to. Um, And, um, I haven't performed at House of Yes yet. I went to a show there recently where there were like people dropping down uh-huh. from the ceiling and running around in the scaffoldings and that seems really fun. I mean, I know that's not like a huge It's a good venue. Like, it's a great venue. Yeah. Now it's your turn to ask my next guest a question. You don't get to know who it is and it can be a question about literally anything. Hmm. Guys, let me. You can drag anything silly, stupid, mean. <laughs> um, is your next guest a performer? I don't know. No. You don't get to know. Okay. <laughs> That's the fun. What is an act by another performer that you wish you'd come up with? I love that question. That's a good one. Well, we're always here to try to expand the community here on Block Talk. Who would you like to hear an interview from? Mm-hmm. I would love to hear from other designers. I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. we don't get to have our platform as much. My, you know, two close friends obviously are 10 Yards and Pinwheel. I talk to the two of them almost every day. Um, and then if you haven't talked to God Complex yet in Brooklyn, he's one of my favorite performers. He does a lot of like really interesting high production things. And I think he'd be fun to hear on here. Awesome. 
I'll yeah. go reach out. Well, where can the listeners find you on social media and Venmo? We got to gotta get that coin in. Uh, Black and White Striped on Instagram, Venmo, Cash App. And yeah, I don't have a Twitter. I don't have a TikTok. <laughs> and you're a better have- person than everyone else. <laughs> well, it was such a pleasure having you on the show and chatting. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. The biggest thanks to Peretta for coming on. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and leave us a review while you're there. If you have any questions or comments, drop me a line at theaterthenow.com via our question link. Like, listen, love. Until next time, I'm Michael Block, and that was Block Talk. Block Talk.